This episode is supported by IRL, an original podcast from Mozilla, made for people who are into or build AI and people who develop tech policies. Listen to Mozilla IRL wherever you listen to your podcast. Welcome to the Expansive Podcast, where we explore the frontiers of personal growth, business innovation, and technology. We believe that growth and progress come from expanding our minds, exploring new possibilities, and embracing change. And in today's pod, we should actually add something to that line, is engaging with super interesting people. And if you're a listener of the pod, you know that we don't often interview people, but when we come across somebody special and somebody who's got a great story, we corner them and force them to come onto the pod, which is exactly what we've done today with Nathan. But before we bring Nathan on, I'm always joined by my co-pilot, Eric, who's got a new haircut. <laughs> Eric, what's happening there, man? Listen, I, I mean, I'm speechless. I don't, I don't know, like, where, why do we start there? Why, you know? <laughs> Of all the of, of all the different places to start, why why, why, why are we starting with the haircut? Because you look great, Eric. Thank you. Okay, that's yeah. Thank you. Just take yeah, the compliment. I'll take, it. take I'll the take compliment, it. bro. Take the compliment. So I have the huge privilege of traveling around the world extensively, and one of the best things, besides the food and the new views that you take a look at, is you meet new and amazing, interesting people. And it was about six months ago, or maybe eight months ago, that I met Nathan. And we got introduced by a friend and we hit it off immediately. Lots of ideas, lots of energy, super fit, lots of ambition. And he, Nathan started telling me stories that I've ever heard before. And I thought that would be excellent for us to share on the pod. So Nathan Farugia, welcome to The Expansive. Thank you for having me. And there was no force required, I can tell you. I was just trying to have a bit of a, a stab at myself. Um, Nathan, tell us where you are right now and a, and a quick brief, where are you from and what's your small little quick history before we kick straight into the pod? Okay, so I'm currently in Malta, a small island in the Mediterranean where I'm from. My dad's Maltese, my mother's English. Um, lived most of my life here, although I've worked around the world, um, spending more time perhaps in, in the UK and London and, and now in, in the Middle East. Um, I uh, started my career as a physiotherapist. Uh, I wanted to reduce my... Uh, my physio bills from all my sports injuries, so I thought I'd do it myself, and uh, and eventually sort of became passionate about uh, endurance sports and the mind over matter and all that sort of stuff around how far we can we can explore what's the human limit. But at the same time, been fortunate to be asked to run organisations um, for for others, both in tech, healthcare, hospitality, um, and events. And as a CEO, I also realised that a lot of the the learning I got from sports could be applied uh, in, in work and life. So, so I've been intrigued as a, as a study to figure out what makes people better performers than others. Um, fortunately, I've been able to jump out of the rat race, uh, you know, as a, as a CEO and, and started my entrepreneurial life quite recently, call it a midlife crisis, um, and, uh, and, and sort of moved into the business coaching space where I, I meet like you, intelligent and interesting people who I like to pick their brains and then apply that knowledge to my other clients and, and my team and obviously have a, a large team of coaches that, that work with our clients. Uh, and so, yeah, that's how I uh, earn a living. I'm married with uh, two kids. One is 19 studying law and the other is 17 in college. Um, my wife is uh, very into her own little business, which is personal training. Um, as an ex-Olympian, she has uh, quite a following here in Malta, so 
that's uh, that's good for her and she loves it. Yeah, and that, that's that's, awesome. that's basically. And I try and keep Thank fit. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yes, I know. I can see you're very fit. That's the first thing I noticed about you. You are super super conditioned, but. There seems to be a, a correlation between an Eric. Eric, you want to jump yeah, in there? Yeah, I can't believe it. Um, when I graduated in 2007, I graduated as a physiotherapist. And uh, yeah, I, I was in practice for probably about eight years. Uh, I did mainly sort of um, ICU work for a long time and then headed up a step-down facility. And then at some point I was like, this, I don't know what, what your journey was, how you went from that in transitioning into other things. But for me, it was just like, I couldn't walk with old ladies anymore because I ended up being in a, in a step down, just dealing with hip replacements and knee replacements. And I was just like, this, this yeah. isn't for me anymore. What was that transition for you? What, what sparked for you that you were like, okay, physio is done. I need to move on to something else. Well, it was a gentle transition in different ways. I think, you know, I, I, I left university to work for the, the government hospital, which is typical of what happens here, and realized that I couldn't make change in, in such a, a bureaucratic environment. So I became an entrepreneur and I set up my own clinic, which became two, which became three, which became four. And I really enjoyed the entrepreneurial journey. Um, but at the same time, I was also getting my, my ikigai because I was actually helping more and more people through the techniques that, uh, that we, we developed and, and used. Um, through my sports, I got to pick and choose my, my patients, which were mostly sports injuries and back injuries, um, which was much more dynamic. You see results quicker, so it's more motivating. But I ended up spending too much time then sort of running the business uh, and not being hands-on. And that's when I started to explore the leadership side. And, and mm. so I went and did my MBA, you know, got my, did my business studies, started to look into you know, more, more leadership roles. And one of my clinics was actually in, in part of a, a five-star hotel, spa, thing resort um and i eventually became the 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 general manager of the spa through being there and and showing good leadership and and the business helped me grow as a leader and and learn new skills and realize that actually i I could make more of an impact Mm. by leading others than by doing it myself yeah yeah it's not it's not a skill everybody has i mean it's uh, obviously something that's uh innate to you to be able to do that uh, one of the stories that I remember you telling me was about the handicap clinic and having some circular economy sort of system to that. And it intrigued me and has inspired me. And I've actually repeated that story many times because it's inspired me to open up a brand and a business based on the circular economy. And I don't think I've told you this, but I will tell you one day. But please do tell us about that story specifically. I am a, I'm a, I'm, I really love the idea of the circular economy. In, in COVID, I wrote a book with a guy called Iraj Abidjan, who, is, who wrote the Financial Constitution for South Africa. And he's chief economist for banks. And anyway, he's got his own business now. And the book that we wrote was really about the disparity of wealth and what a problem that is in the world and hoping that COVID-19 would have helped to redirect it in some way. But we also spoke about the circular economy and I researched the circular economy when I was writing that book as well. And then when you told me that story, it was such a, a full circle for me because it was a practical version of it. So please do go ahead and tell that story and uh, give as much detail as possible, to be honest. It was a <laughs> okay. great story. Well, interestingly, one of the, the patients of, of my clinics uh, was a trustee on a, on a nonprofit organization. And he was talking about some of the struggles they had as an organization to raise funds. And, and I went in as a volunteer to see if I could help them with, with some business ideas. And it, it, it became clear that they depended too much on donations. So we needed to create um, social economy to be able to 
generate revenue to be able to fund the charity work. This was providing services of education and therapy to persons with disabilities. And I, I ended up spending so much time there. I went to the guys and I said, look, um, something has to give. I'm either, you're either going to have to recruit someone to run this, you know, or, or, or you know, it's, it's become too much. So they asked me if I actually would, would, you know, become the CEO of this organization, which was relatively small. And I said, as long as I can keep my clinics on the side and, and earn a revenue revenue from there, because the charity obviously uh, was limited in its its funding, I, you know, I, I'll come and give it give it a good shot. Anyway, long story short, over a few years, we grew the organization to what is now Malta's probably most reputable and large um, nonprofit organization called Inspire. Um, and after years working in the organization and, and helping it grow, we are helping over a thousand uh, families uh, uh, at any point in time with, with therapy and education. We realized that we were taking these kids all the way from birth, um, you know, diagnosed uh, with autism or, or, or at birth through to the 16 age where they were finishing secondary school, which is mandatory in, in Malta. But then stopping there, there, there was nothing to be able to help them move from there into employment uh, or tertiary education. So I went to my board and I asked them if we should invest in, in developing programs around this, but they thought that it would be better that we would focus on what we're good at and we, we, we would continue to do what we were doing. So I, um, I started a new organization, um, which was called Empower, which basically took our graduates, you know, the people coming out of, out of Inspire and created a temp, like a temp agency, but they were never temporary. They were always permanent, but we, we would find them work and we would place them. Uh, within businesses where they would work in an open environment. So it wasn't a, a special center. It was literally in open employment where they had a job coach, where we worked very closely with the team of the client to make sure that they understood the particular needs of the individual and particularly their strengths and how they could tap into those strengths to, to bring the best out of that individual. They would be paid fairly, um, you know, market rates, and we would make sure that they were you know they were supported and they were they were given the right the right support to be able to to thrive in that environment um interestingly we got to about 30 people and this was an idea that had been started before my time but we sort of tried to make it economically sustainable so we we renegotiated the agreements we we found ways to make sure that we were measuring performance effectively uh, that we were really creating value for the business not so they weren't seen as a charity case as you know we're ticking a box by employing persons with disabilities um and this win-win really really caught on so the government came to me and said can we can we do this on a national level and so we, we created a foundation between the government and us where we now employ 700 odd persons with um complex needs um now we're also helping people with uh, severe mental health issues uh, as well as disability uh, and autism, communication uh, problems, um, and other physical physical uh, limitations. And we have about 50 job coaches that go around the country providing support to these individuals. They are generating wealth for their business, for the economy. Uh, they're earning uh, you know, a decent uh, wage, which allows them to be more independent. Uh, they have choices on, on where they work and, and how they develop. Some people are on a career progression because they have the skill set and they want to continue to grow. Other people are happy being part of a team and, and just look forward to getting out of bed in the morning instead of staying at home and vegetating. Um, and it's, it's really helped change the perception on a national level of persons with disabilities and their contribution to the economy. Wow. Um, you can see I can't even speak. That's mm. fantastic. Can you just go back to the clinic <laughs> itself and how you got it to fund itself 
Um, what was that model that you used? How did you go about doing that? Because you moved it from charity to a social economy. You called it a social economy, right? Um, another way of saying yeah. circular economy, or is it? Is there a difference there? I think it's different. It's 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 similar to social enterprise. Yes. Uh, so it's it's essentially creating something of value for society in a way that it generates revenue to sustain itself. Right. So everything's plowed back in. Right. Um, whereas circular economy, the way I understand it, is more transformative of resources that go back into the system. Okay. So in this case, what we were doing is we were looking at services we were providing families with, uh, with children with, with different needs and monetized them for people who were, let's call them non-disabled. Yeah. So everybody else, basically. Yes. So let's take physiotherapy as an example. So we were providing physiotherapy for someone with cerebral palsy, helping them, uh, you know, stretch and move. We could use that physiotherapist to provide part of their day against payments to people who lived in the area of the clinic. And that money was enough to fund the free service we then gave persons with, with disabilities. That's one example. Uh, we had a, a lovely pool, uh, mm, which we opened okay. a, for mm. membership. We had gardens, which we opened on the weekend. We had a big car park, which we had uh, you know, car boot sales and, and things like that. So we were generating revenue rather than going cap in hand to corporates and say, please give us money. So there's multiple income streams that you mm. were applying uh, to be able to bring that into the, the, the social the aspect. Okay. That's great. Uh, how involved are you in it right now? I sit on the board uh, and I'm quite involved in, in activities that relate to fundraising. Um, but that's that's pretty much it. I, I sit on about six or seven different charitable boards uh, as an advisor. And I think that's probably where I can add most value. Uh, although I, I do get stuck in if I need to and, and help with the fundraising efforts. Um, so, yeah, that's I probably spend 10 to 20 percent of my time, you know, on a voluntary basis or a pro bono basis uh, helping causes I believe in. And you you ran you did some ultra marathons based on helping these people. So talk a little bit about that as well. Well, my career when sports, hence why I became a physiotherapist, was in basketball. But uh, after a career in, in, in basketball and what do you mean basketball, Nathan? I've stood next to you, not that <laughs> tall, bro, and I'm short. What do you mean basketball? <laughs> so what? Malta had a short basketball team. What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. I'm sure you can. Yes, fair, fair. Sorry about that. Yeah, couldn't help myself. Couldn't help myself. Yes. No, good shot. Good shot. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, I had. Number of injuries, and I, I remember being at the the surgeon who who we became buddies. He saw me so much. Um, said, "Look, after these multiple surgeries and all that, he said you need to tone down and do something else." And and I I was doing my physio, my swimming, and my cycling, and my my running. And I thought, "Oh, put those three together, and that's a that's a triathlon." So I said, "Oh, I, you know, I need something motivating. I can't just sort of sit on the bike and." watch TV or Netflix while I'm on the treadmill, forget it. So I needed the challenge and I signed up for a triathlon. And funny story is that I obviously came out of the water last, uh, struggled on my bike to keep up. Um, but then on the run at the end, I started to catch people. And I thought, I know, I need a longer race so I have more time to catch up. Uh, and so, so I progressed from, you know, the typical Olympic distance <laughs> to, the, to the half Ironman, to the full Ironman, and then multiple Ironmans. I've always sort of seen, you know, how, how far can I stretch it? Last man standing type of thing. I was never fast, but I, I just could, you know, diesel engine, I could just keep going. Um, so this fascination of how far I could push myself morphed itself then into trying other things. So I've, I've done extreme swims. Um, I've, I've done sort of back-to-back -back marathons. Uh, I've done the Marathon de Sable in the, in the desert. Um, 
and it's it's always been around sort of you know what's this going to feel like and and what's going to happen after I'm completely exhausted and the legs can't move can I can, you know is there you know when the light goes on when you when the car's empty we all know there's a bit more fuel I, I'm interested in that space I want to know what what happens there mm. and the more people say that can't be done the more it rubs me up the wrong way and I <laughs> I go have a go. But uh, to talk about the, the marathon thing that you mentioned, which ties in with the charity, I, I wanted to, to raise awareness for the European Year of Volunteering um, 2011. And I decided to run a marathon in every European state, which is 27 countries. And uh, logistically, it was going to be impossible to do these um, by flying up to each one and coming back down and the expense and all that. So I wondered if I could do them back to back. So in September in 2011, I ran my first marathon in Malta, flew to Helsinki, ran a marathon there, and made my way down through Europe in a camper van, going through 27 countries in 27 days back-to-back, running a marathon in each country, finishing in Cyprus. I need to sit down after listening to that. <laughs> wow. So, so what do you do with all that energy now, Nathan? I mean, is, is that energy still rushing through you or like... What's happening there with you now? I've I sort of moved. I mean, I enjoy the physical stuff, but I've really enjoyed, you know, the the mental exploration of things. I'm, I'm really curious to learn a little bit about how, learn more about how the mind works. Um, and I've been experimenting with, you know, basic things like mindfulness and meditation, but also um, how music affects the mind and how, um you know, external environment shapes the way that our personalities develop. So a lot of my time has been spent reading up and exploring and trying stuff there. Um, but I'm, st- I'm still passionate about the outdoors. I, I want to be on my bike whenever I can or, or-, or running. Um, you know, every time I'm traveling you like you, John, I, I-, I take a day out after to, uh, to explore. And, and if-, if I'm in, you know, if I'm in the mountains, I'm going to, I'm going to find a lake to run around, uh, you know, and if if I'm in Dubai, I'm going to get on my bike and go out to to the desert and and spend the day cycling. So I I need that. Yes. That's yes, my therapy, absolutely. I would say, rather than my sport. Um, I was um, I was actually reading one of these sort of also extreme endurance athletes, um, like a post about him, and he said the thing that that made him good was that he was he was just better <laughs> at suffering than everyone else, and. <laughs> And I thought, like, it sounds very similar. Like, when the gauge hits zero, it's like, how long can you keep going once it's hit that? Um, you know what's interesting, uh, Eric, is that there's a point beyond that, that when the pain stops. And mm. some, and I've had situations where, you know, you go into uh, hallucinogenic states uh, or, or semi-trans states or theta. Um, and that's, that's beyond... While you're running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My longest run non-stop was 28 hours. <laughs> what? And um, that was across the Dolomites. That's insane. And it was, wow. yeah, it, and again, at the end of it, you know, you, you're, it's, it's, in, it's in trance. You're in trance. It's a completely wow. different state of mind. Mm. How, do you, how do you prepare for a race that's, that's long? I, I mean, you know, I, I know what, what the guys look like when they're training for Ironman, like a full Ironman. I know what that sort of training schedule looks like. But when you know you're going to be running for 20 hours, 28 hours straight, how do you even prepare for that? There's an element of resilience. So you need to have, I think also with age, you know, it's, it's time on legs. Um, there's the mental side, which is really around understanding when pain is, is, is just discomfort or pain is damaging, where you need to, okay, say, if I keep pushing, I'm going to get really hurt and knowing where that line is. But the only way you're going to find that out is by, is by discovering that line. It's, Doing it. it's going past mm. it. 
So you're not going to go from you know from nothing to running for 28 hours, um, but you can't you can't prepare. This was a hundred miler, um, and I've done a few of those hundred milers. You can't prepare for a hundred miler like you would normally prepare for a marathon, where you would run nearly the distance. Mm. In these cases, you, you may run maybe half, which is a double marathon, uh, as your longest run, and then you're going to have to run 168 or 169 kilometers on the day. I recently listened to episode two, season seven of IRL podcast, and this one is called The Humans in the Machine. And I got to tell you, it was such an eye-opener because they were interviewing these young adults in Kenya that were actually the people inputting the information required for these large language models and having to deal with some hectic things on the internet. And they were showing that these big companies like Meta weren't really compensating these people for this incredibly difficult work. I mean, the psychological turmoil they must be going through must be really, really tough. I mean, it gave me such a new appreciation for what they're going through and also to hold them more accountable as these big organizations make incredible profits without sharing it in a fair way. So search for Mozilla IRL in your podcast player or visit irlpodcast.org. We'll also include a link in the show notes for this pod and many thanks for IRL for their support. So, so let's move from, let's move from this to what are you doing now as far as coaching is concerned, leadership and, uh, also Vistage, right? So let's talk about your coaching practice and let us know what you've done with that coaching practice. You said you have a bunch of coaches working with you. What does that look like? What are you doing there? And then that's the first part. The second part is what, what do you do around those leadership coaching sessions? Where are you? I mean, Eric is deep in the leadership work and works with the major organizations around South Africa around these things. Um, so we'd love to get your take on both of those. So yeah, let us know. Yeah. I mean, I sort of fell into this because I realized that whilst, you know, I had my, my business studies and I had experience, I, I lacked what I felt it took to be able to run an organization. Well, a leadership is a, is, is a very holistic approach, you know, to, to being the persona that the role model that you you want to be or aspire to be, so I joined a, a peer group um, when I was young. I became a CEO at 26, and before I, you know, after I was an entrepreneur and started to run larger organizations, I felt I needed to have wisdom around me, and I and I joined a peer group of CEOs and business owners that I felt would give me some some experience, and I thrived. It it, it allowed me to to avoid the pitfalls and the potholes that, you know, they'd fallen into earlier in, in their careers. It allowed me to to discern decision-making approaches instead of just the way I knew uh, and alternative ways to lead, alternative ways to grow businesses, um, but also other things in corporate governance or how to sell a business uh, or how to, how to internationalize. You know, I had no idea how these things worked. So for me, being in the presence of these people really helped. So what we then did you know as i became a coach as i made sure that that peer groups was going to be part of our our repertoire um vistage is a global organization of peer advisors of peer group uh, members mostly ceos and business owners led by qualified and experienced chairs that operate in 35 countries we have over 45000 ceos and business owner members and i uh, i bought the license for for malta uh, which we grew, um, and now we moved into the Middle East, and and later on we're we're expanding into the Middle East and also into Northern Europe. Um, so my license, uh, you know, allows me to to bring in 
key people to chair groups and build groups uh, and find amazing CEOs and business leaders that have an open mind, that are happy to be vulnerable, to tell their story, to help other people, um, and to be made accountable to the group to get stuff done. In our CEOs, we are terrible procrastinators. We tend to focus on the things we like doing and push the stuff we don't like doing to next Monday. Um, with a peer around you, making sure you're dotting the I's and crossing the T's, you 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 actually move much faster. So our businesses grow at least double the the pace wow. um, that their industry wow. um, would would typically move at. Wow. Yeah, through this accountability. Um, so it's a uh, it's it's actually proven to be a good business to be in. But frankly, I just love being in the. I, I chair six groups myself, um, and I'm a member of two others. So I spend a lot of my time in, in Vistage groups just because I love it. In fact, so much so that I've got CEOs to run my events business and our coaching practice and our training academy because I, I don't want to do that. Um, I, I just want to be in the room. So, can you quickly outline just briefly what is the difference between Vistage and EO and YPO for those listening? Sure. So EO tends to be um, entrepreneurs who are who are growing their business. They tend to be uh, potentially smaller organizations um, uh, compared to the other two uh, cohorts. Um, Vistage is small to medium enterprise, depending on the location you're in. In Malta, a small business in Dubai is a big business here, so you know it, 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 it's relative. Uh, however, we're looking for the mindset of the individual who is is either grown a number of businesses and is on, on their multiple or is growing a business from a, from a medium enterprise to a corporate. So okay. those typically gravitate towards Vistage. Uh, YPO is somewhat similar. You will have big corporates there as well. Um, you'll also have hired gun CEOs who are in YPO. Um, on a, on a, you know, international level, they're, they're all great organizations. They're well run. Their focus is really developing the individuals within within the, the groups or the forum, depending on which one you're choosing. Um, Vistage is the largest from a headcount perspective, from a members um, uh, globally. Um, but that's mostly because they have big numbers in the US and the UK. Um, okay. So, but yeah. I was going to ask, yeah, what, what do you think is the draw good. card there? What, what draws people more to Vistage than, than, than to EO, for example? I think the draw to all of them is that it's lonely at the top. Yeah, you know, sure. as 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 business owners and leaders, mm. we feel that we need we need to have people around us that can help and guide, help guide and advise. Mm. Um, so I think that's the driver for for. I think business size does have an effect um, from a membership cost perspective. They're much of a muchness, quite similar. Uh, so the, you know the financial barrier to entry is 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 equal. I think then it's who your mates are. You know who, who who's in the room. Yeah. Do you know people there? Mm. You know birds of a feather type of situation that mm. typically mm. you know leads people to move to one to the other tell me uh, i heard that 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 eo is self-driven whereas vistage hires people to come in just like you said whereas eo like runs their own forums and runs their own they've got their own leadership leading people and learning people is that the same with vistage or do you know um, we so different licenses use different approaches my approach uh, is that we we uh, bring people in to chair, and these people are experienced uh, business leaders who have been there and done that, and they help coach and mentor the members. EO is much more towards developing the individual to learn how to run a business. So there's a lot more, let's say, instruction with EO, which is probably required, and that's why people might join it. Mm. Uh, whereas us, we tend to bas- basically have conversations around experiences. Great. Tell us, uh, do you do you follow any sort of principle or what sort of process do you follow when you're in the room 
and you're running those leaders workshops and stuff like that. Just talk us through a little bit at that uh, because we both do that, Eric and I, but I guess in very different ways. Yeah. So my favorite part of Vistage is what we call issue processing. So we have a methodology which we've been using for 65 years, um, which essentially asks the member who has an issue to process, and an issue may be an opportunity, it may be a challenge or a dilemma, that I'd like the group to help them as a sounding board on. So it starts with framing the question, you know, what what's the problem you're trying to solve? And there's some the tweaking question. of that because yes. people sometimes don't necessarily... Yeah, yeah, the wrong question. So, so there's clarifying questions from the group. You typically go round robin. Please explain the, what you mean by this. And is this really what it is, or is it something else? And after the, after a, you know a couple of rounds, we hope that the member have act, has actually framed the question properly. And it may be a question that needs resolving, or it may be a question that they need to go and find find out more about. The chair in there in the room is making sure that everybody is 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 part of the conversation. Um, and that, more importantly, no one is giving advice, at least in the initial stages, because CEOs are brilliant at fixing problems. You tell me your question, I will give you the answer. <laughs> so are you talking about men? Are so you talking about men or CEOs? To bite our tongue and hold back. We have a good CEOs. We have a good gender balance in our in our meetings. <laughs> okay, um, and, fair, And the fair, women fair, are just fair. as bad trying no, to fix mm. problems, um, if not worse sometimes. You know, again, it's, and even again, it's altruistic. We're trying to be helpful. You know, we're trying to ha- be helpful by giving someone the answer, but that's not the solution. Um, so once okay. we've understood what the real question is and we've talked around uh, what the solutions might be, we ask the members to frame it in their voice. What would I do if I was in that situation? And they may speak from experience or they just may may be inspired by, by the conversation yes. and take it forwards. And then it's up to the member to say, okay, I like what I've heard. I'm going to take a bit of this and a bit of that and go and apply it. It's up to the chair then to make that person accountable the next month to come back and tell the rest of the group what they've done about it mm. and what worked and what didn't for us to learn from that person's um, endeavors. Um, but also, more importantly, to make sure that they got it done rather than just sort of, oh, yeah, I got busy with work and I forgot about it. Mm. Love it. Um, I always love this approach where it's, it's not um, explicitly telling someone what they should do, but giving them the space to, I guess, processing is the exact right word for this for this process that people are going through um you have a a interesting vantage point because you get to uh, be in groups you get to be like heading them up chairing them but you also get to have the license and see across many different groups um have you seen any specific patterns of what leaders are struggling with at the moment like prominent themes that have emerged across all the groups Yes, absolutely. Uh, and there's two reasons to to verify that. One is the anecdote, yes, what, what people are talking about in their groups, what are the issues they tend to be processing. But also we poll our members and ask them specifically what are the things that are, are, are holding you back from growth, uh, what are the things that you'd like to spend more money on and invest in, um, you know, what are the things you need to be careful about. And we call this the Vistage Confidence Index which is a global index that goes around the 45,000 members for us to get a bit of a, a feel for what's going on on the planet. The advantage of this is that CEOs have foresight. So we've tracked the confidence index against markets, and we've actually seen that CEOs are predicting the markets by six months, collectively. Wow. So it's the wisdom wow. of crowds, with CEOs specifically, who would be saying, well, I think I'm going to hold back because I'm unsure. And guess what? When... CEOs around the world decide that, and economy slows down. 
But when they're gung-ho and they're, they want to grow and they want to invest and they're going to recruit and they collectively have that mindset, it drives the economy. Mm. So polling, polling the CEOs gives us as chairs an understanding of what we need to talk about, but it also gives us an understanding of where the economies are going. And this is a very, very powerful tool for Vistage members because it allows them to predict or plan you know, their way forward. Current issues, mainly is uh, talent. You know, where do I find talent? How do I keep talent? How do I avoid the, the wage wars uh, and create more value within the organization through culture um, to be able to, to get the right people there and, and, and maybe a bit, be a bit stickier? Um, around the world, except maybe in certain countries like Middle East, um, there's concerns around slowdown. Um, at the moment, you know, where, where the economy is going, you know, UK is, is, is suffering. US is leaning on the, the small to medium enterprise to help, you know, drive their economy at the moment. Uh, the big boys are, are, are struggling a little bit. So, you know, different regions will have different different issues. Um, and so then because we are regional, because we, we, we act locally, the conversations may be different in that sense from, from place to place. Um, I think something that we're, we're seeing more and more of uh, particularly post-COVID, is this concept of work-life balance, remote working, the way we operate, the way we do business. Uh, and again, different different economies and different cultures do different things. But generally, I feel that most CEOs and business owners are more concerned about mental health uh, and physical well-being for themselves and for their, their teams. So that's a good thing. The ESG movement is picking up globally. Um, hopefully it isn't a greenwashing exercise and, you know, we will see change in the way that, uh, you know, we do business that is less harmful to the environment, more socially oriented, uh, and, you know, with better governance, uh, less corruption and, and, and more transparency. So I think these are the main topics that we're seeing mm. within, within the business community, within the Vistage community. Okay. Where's AI? It's very tough. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Where's AI? <laughs> that was my first comment. There's no AI anywhere there because we, we just hear AI all the time. I think, you know, there was a bit of a, no, it's, it's still definitely a, a conversation. I think it's more around the practicality of it. You know, okay, we've talked about AI, mm. it's yes. cool, but how we do we actually it. use yeah. it? Um, yes. and, and there are some conversations around the ethics. I, John, I've heard you talk about this, uh, uh, you know, in, on stage around the ethics around AI and how do we use AI in a way that doesn't, that, that reflects the corporate governance uh, element of ESG. Um, so, I, you know, the, the repercussion of AI across the business clearly is something that, uh, mm. that they talk about. But uh, I think they, <laughs> most CEOs, are a little bit aloof uh, on these things. You know, they tend to lean on their CTO uh, to, to tell them, you know, what yeah. they need to do. So that's why perhaps it's not the most important uh, thing on yeah. the CEO's mind. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, the ESG thing has got such a bad rep out there. What's the on-the-ground story? Because, you know, the organization, first and foremost, must be profitable to the shareholders and then must be ESG-driven which kind of makes ESG irrelevant. It's almost like the structure has to change and the appetite of shareholders has to change in order to be able to bring the second layer of measuring success in a new way. And it seems like it's in dichotomy with each other. Mm. I think there is an element of chicken and egg here. Uh, I think that if you, if you look at corporates that have lived 50 years of plus, they tend to be the ones that care more about their employees uh, and less about their shareholders. Um, more about their customers than than making profit, um, and so these are you know this is another iteration of what was previously CSR or, or corporate responsibility yes. or doing good business. So you know every it's a fad. It's it's like you know the next type of workout. You know it, it changes yes. over time, but but it's a label that we need to have so that we can have the common conversation. Yes, my my belief is that 
you know, sustainability is going to be more important simply because the new workforce is much more inclined to look at why yes. you do what you do rather than just what you do and how much money you make. And this is going yeah. to be important. So if we don't, you know, call it SG, call it something else. If we don't have organizations with purpose, we're not going to be able to recruit the right talent because they don't want to work for companies that are greenwashing or, you know, causing yeah. uh, damage to the planet. So whether you're doing yes. it from a cynical perspective or, uh, you know, to, yes. to pretend to attract those people or you genuinely believe it, like Patagonia and, and those, um, you're going to have to adopt it. So I, I think, you know, adopting it to stay in relevant and stay in business is, is a requirement. Um, doing it because you actually want to and believe in it is, is even better. Well, look, I think we need to be able to use more examples than Patagonia. We all go back to Patagonia. It seems like to be the, oh, yeah. the anchor point of them <laughs> giving up $10 million back to Trump to fight again. I mean, nobody's doing that really. And you know, it's far too, far too few, but it's great that it's up there and it's part of the conversation. Absolutely. Uh, but- yeah. But I think, John, if, if it's for me, it's about leadership. So, you know, the example we gave of where, you know, me and my colleagues set this organization to employ persons with disabilities, you can do it from yes. a charitable perspective, but you can actually do it from an economic perspective. Because the more we take people off, off um, you know, the dole or whatever, the, the pension that they've got, and they can start to earn a living rather than get handouts, the more independent they become. And hopefully they end up paying taxes and contributing to the economy. So... Yes. You know, we, we can be cynical and say, yeah, we, people really do it just because they want to help or people do it because they want to look good. But actually, if it has um, a good social element, it typically makes economic sense. Okay. Okay. That's really good to know. I'm very happy to hear that. <laughs> so, Eric, uh, I think we, we've got running out a bit of time. Uh, do you have any last questions? Yeah. Well, um, I was wondering, like, you know, working with all these leaders, um, what is the main thing that you are currently addressing with them? Like, you know, apart from the, the vestige stuff that's happening, when you are sitting in sessions, what is the main thing that you are talking about? Um, I think it's the balance between delivering the value now in the short term and thinking more sustainably about the future and how do you balance that? You know, and again, it, it affects our, our, our philosophy of life. Do you live in the moment? Do you live in the past? Do you live in the future? And, and how do you balance that? How do you shift and not get stuck? in any one of those mm. um the exigencies the exigencies on a ceo today is 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 so it's huge you know ceos are making decisions with 10 percent of the information they need to make the correct one they have to lean on their teams so it's really about empowering their teams and building talent and attracting you know the right people to be able to 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 build trust within those teams so a lot of it really is around reiterating the point that a leader is is a person is a human being and has to have community to be able to to thrive and be successful um and again to not do it alone you know because Mm. you make mistakes if you don't have a sounding board if you don't have like-minded people around you you get you you get blind spotted Mm. when um I, i i recently so i I just started this thing recently called Leadership Lab where we just bring leaders together just to, exactly to what your point was a bit earlier, is that it's so lonely to be at the top. And um, often, you know, you don't know who to share that with. Like, who, who do you share this journey with? And so it was great to have people, sh- like, realizing that there's a sharing of shared experiences. Um, that was great. But the the thing that I spoke about in that session was that there's a burden of leadership that we don't often talk about. Hmm. And it's, you know, most of what leadership is about is is glorifying leaders and it's so amazing to be a leader and everyone should be a leader and, like, your position doesn't define you as a leader. And, like, it's all about the the glorification of it. 
but we forget that it's a, a there's a burden that comes with it as well, which is that 100%. you're responsible for so much, and yeah. and all fingers point to you if things go wrong. And I think what makes leaders incredible then is their willingness to accept that burden, but then you still need a space to go and and share that burden. So yes. I think the work that you do is incredible. Yeah. Eric, I, I agree. And you know what? You know what? For me, is is sad is that, and, and I think John will resonate from our conversations. Business should be fun. You know, it it it's you know there are times when it's stressful and there are times when things don't go your way, but in general, it should be enjoyable. You should mm. wake up and want to go to work because it should mm. be fun. It should be you know the challenge, the, the you know the experiences that you get, the, the the personal growth from from saying yes to accepting that responsibility you talked about. The the fact it's a burden and we perceive it as a burden, which is true, is 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 a pity. You know, we should be able to to celebrate uh, you know the, the the life that we live because we are building teams, we're we're helping people grow, we're delivering value to customers. You know, there's a lot of positivity, but we tend to magnify the the negatives. Um, and and I think it's you know it's a sign of the times as well. We you know we moan a lot, we complain a lot, we don't particularly celebrate the wins. We <laughs> we, we focus on the on the losses. Um, Just the grind, yeah, yeah, and the grind. And and we've sort of glorified this grind. Yeah, work hard to achieve. You know what? It shouldn't be a, a, an up. You know, we're not Sisyphus. It shouldn't be an uphill slog to to be able to get success. Mm. Uh, I watched this TikTok and the guy was saying, I will not give you 100% at work because nothing works at 100% all the time. I'll give you 60% and I want to chill the other time. I want to have another life, you know. I guess in, like bringing in the smartest talent needs to give people that sort of leeway to live a more balanced life so that there is an access to a different type of creativity rather than just this addiction to drive and, and stress, which is kind of what we've all made out is what work should be. Nathan, last question. Yeah, I think yeah. we need to stop. Go on, go, go on, go on. I was going to say, we need to stop measuring with time. Yes. You know, work-life balance isn't a time measurement. It's not time, but I need three yeah. hours of work and yeah. four hours of this. It's value. You know, yeah. you know, most CEOs can do their job, which is strategy, in, in a half the time they spend at work. Yes. But they still need to hang out and be seen. Yes, exactly. Mm. There is still that old check-in, check-out kind of system. Yes, there is. Especially in the Middle East. There's a lot of that still. Mm. I also saw a, a TikToker, like two days ago, where the guy, um, all this dude does is he reads texts from like horrible bosses, essentially. And so the, the guy was like, um, hey, it's so the boss is mentioning the dude. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to be docking like a couple of hours off your work and like you'll be receiving less pay next week. The guy's like, what? Like how? He's like, no, I noticed that your activity on your computer hasn't been what it's supposed to be. It's like, what do you mean? He's like, oh no, like we, we've tracked and we can see your mouse is standing still for prolonged periods of time. And therefore we're assuming you're not doing the work and therefore we're docking your hours off. And he, the, the guy's like, what? Like <laughs> so much for trust in this business. Like, uh, what, yeah. Well, then, wow. well then what, what you get that's there is somebody. That's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, but what, what you get then is somebody who creates some mechanical arm that moves the mouse every three minutes. Oh, yeah. like, <laughs> such a ridiculous way to measure, measure any impact. Uh, the, the, the final question, Nathan, and thank you so much for your time again for being with us is what does an expansive life look like to you? And what else do you need to do to make your life even more expansive? What, what, are you, what is the accountability that you require to take that next step? Really good question. And, uh, and you know, unprepared. I would say it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a life of possibilities and creativity. It's, it's exploring it's adventuring. It's it's saying, oh, what would you know? Would this work? Could I try this? Uh, what would it feel like if I if I did this or that? 
And I happen to be at a time in my life, although I've always been that way, I, I, I get bored very quickly, uh, where we're expanding both the business and, and our team uh, in different regions, new, learning new cultures, meeting new people, having great conversations. So I'm in a really good place today when I, if I had to say about, you know, about expansion, both from a, a realistic perspective of we're expanding the business, but also I feel that I've grown. Uh, I've grown as a, as a person, I've grown as a leader, um, just by going through this experience of, 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 you know, spreading beyond the, the tiny island of Malta over the last sort of five to six years. So what accountability do I need? Um, I need to self-reflect. You know, sometimes I'm sitting on that plane and I'm going, why the hell am I doing this? Uh, you, you know, and, 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 and I miss my training session because I, I, I've had early morning meetings because of time zones and, and all this stuff. Um, I just I just need to make sure that I get in the helicopter every now and then and understand the lay of the land and why I'm doing it and reminding myself of the purpose of this uh, and that that just sort of keeps me on the track. Yeah, that's really great. I, I'm not going to. I was wasn't supposed to ask another question, but do you have a coach? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, so I, I'm part of a, two Vistage groups. Uh, we have one which is between chairs, so all great people. Uh, we sort of coach each other. Uh, and I also have my old coach who was the, my, the coach of my first group. And I still refer to him and meet him oh. uh, whenever I can. Wow. Mm. Fantastic. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time, Nathan. It's been really great to hear your perspective and for you to share it with us and our listeners. For the listeners out there, thank you so much uh, for joining us for another podcast. Nathan, where can people find out more about you and uh, connect with you? So um, LinkedIn is probably the easiest. Um, Nathan Paruja. Um, and uh, an easy website to remember is upyourlevel.com uh, and, and I'm there that's one of our businesses yes. at the training academy and that's the easiest way to get to me upyourlevel.com or LinkedIn that's right I remember actually looking at Up Your Level and I see you on LinkedIn very busy sharing and meeting all sorts <laughs> of people around the world I look yeah. forward to bumping into you real soon and uh, Eric nice to see you again and uh, Nathan we'll chat to you soon to everybody else out there ciao ciao